go through your mind just before you're supposed to get up and talk to people about, you know, uh, God and his word and stuff like that. And, um, you know, uh, sometimes I have to have my own little, you know, get right with Jesus moment right there before everything happens. But, but one of the things that I thought about as we was talking about just here, and it goes along with what, um, what I'm talking about this morning. I remember Corey Ten Boom, and you know who Corey Ten Boom is. Um, uh, today I'm going to kind of talk to you about perspective from the way you look at life. <clears throat> And um, she said this one time. She says, if you look at the world, you will be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. If you look at, if you look at God, you'll be at rest. I like that. And that goes along with exactly what I'm going to talk about today. Because we're looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 1. We're going to look at the first 11 verses. And I'm going to kind of set it up for you a little bit, and then we'll go through the verses, okay? Um, some time ago, a two-year study was conducted by John Hopkins University, uh, sponsored by the National in Institute of Mental Health, which surveyed 7,948 students at 48 colleges. These students were asked what they considered very important to them now. 16% said making a lot of money, okay? But, surprisingly, 75% said finding meaning and purpose in their life was most important to them. In his book, Modern Man in Search of a Soul, secular psychologist Carl Jung wrote these penetrating words. He said, about one-third of my cases are suffering from no clinically definable neurosis, but from the senselessness and emptiness in their lives. This can be described as the general neurosis of our time. In his book, The Purpose Driven Life, author Rick Warren talks about a survey done by Dr. Hugh Moorhead, where he wrote to 250 of the best known philosophers, scientists, writers, and intellectuals uh, in the world, and he asked them, what is the meaning of life? Some of them gave their best answer, their best guesses. Some admitted they just made up a purpose. And others were honest enough to say they didn't have a clue. In fact, a number of them wrote back and said, if you find out, would you please write back and tell us what it is? It is the absence of meaning and purpose in the lives of so many today, and especially in the lives of young people, that is causing so much substance abuse, promiscuity, and suicide. Suicide is the number three leading cause of death among people 15 to 24 years old. As I was preparing for this, um, I looked at, I just happened to glance at an article on my phone. And it was of uh, a girl named Katie Meyer, uh, who was the Stanford goalkeeper, goalkeeper. And on March 1st of this year, she committed suicide. Um, she had led her school, Stanford University, 
to the 2019 national title and was found dead Tuesday in her campus dorm room on March 1st, Tuesday, um, March 1st. Katie was best known for stopping two penalty kicks in a dramatic shootout over the University of North Carolina in the 2019 uh, final as Stanford hoisted the Women's Cup for the national championship. Her friends described her as a larger-than-life team player in all her pursuits. From choosing an academic discipline, she said, changed my perspective on the world and the very important challenges that we need to work together to overcome to the passion she brought to the Cardinal Women's Soccer Program. And there's other things that I could say, but when I saw that, I just had to stop and think about it for a second. How sad. You know, seems like if you look at this girl, beautiful young girl, seems to have everything together, you know, was on a national championship team at a prestigious university, but for whatever reason, she didn't find meaning and purpose and ended up taking her own life. Um, I, I don't know. I don't use that to exploit that as, as an example, but it's, it's sad. Um, and I, I, I always had this fear. One of my fears in life was, is that, you know, you might be, you know, might be in some kind of car accident and killed on the side of the road somewhere. And, uh, you're a, uh, 20 second, uh, comment from some news reporter on the news saying so-and-so an accident happened on so-and-so and, you know, a man, 51 year old man was killed, blah, 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 and stuff. And then, uh, well, it's going to be great weather this next week weekend, and uh, you know the, you know whatever favorite sports team is going to be playing, and that's it, you know, and it's done. And, and if you look at, as well, Solomon's going to look at life here in just a little bit as I present it. There's going to be a sense of futility, and a sense of hopelessness, and a sense of despair, that I think all of us can relate to in some respect. There was a note written by a young college student, written before they took their own life, and it read this way. To anyone in the world who cares, who am I? Why am I living? Life has become stupid and purposeless. Nothing makes sense to me anymore. The question I had when I came to college are still unanswered, and now I'm convinced there aren't any answers. There can be only pain and guilt and despair here in this world. My fear of death and the unknown is far less terrifying to me than the prospect of unbearable frustration, futility, and hopelessness of continued existence. That's a sad, sad statement. I'm sorry to depress everybody here, but, you know, it's just, this is what, when we look at the book of Ecclesiastes, we find one man's search for true meaning and purpose in life. Now, Solomon was a uniquely qualified individual to do so, right? And one of the things we know about Solomon is that he wrote three books that we have inspired scripture, right? In the early years of his life, he wrote the book of romance, right? The Song of Solomon. And that's one of those that when you have young kids, you want to, you know, be careful about how you go through it if you do. You know, because, you know, you, you have to do a lot of explanation. Then in the mid-noon time of his life, you might say he wrote the book of rules. We know it was the book of Proverbs. 
But in the latter years of his life, as he looks back over his life and what has truly given him meaning and purpose in life, he writes the book of Ecclesiastes. Some people call it the book of regrets. You know. So Solomon, in writing Ecclesiastes, is looking back over his life and making some observations. During Solomon's reign, he was a period of 40-year period of no war, right? So he was able to devote more time to investigating the meaning of life. Furthermore, he was the wealthiest man around, right? There was nothing that he did, couldn't get if he wanted, right? In Ecclesiastes 1.16, it says, I commune with my own heart, saying, Lo, I am come to great estate, and have gotten more wisdom than all that they have that all they that have been before me in Jerusalem. Yea, my heart had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. Not only was he the wisest, or the wealthiest, but he was the wisest, right? And maybe the smartest. His IQ must have been pretty high. And so he sets himself to pursue what the meaning of life was. But interestingly, if you look in verse 2 of chapter 1 of Ecclesiastes, Solomon begins his book with his conclusion. You ever done that? Read, you open a book and you just go to the last chapter and see how it all ends, right? Just to know, and then you kind of piece it together as you go, right? Some people can't do that, you know? It just ruins it for you. But here we see in Ecclesiastes 1, verse 2, Solomon says this. He says, Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, this, uh, vanity of vanities, all is vanity pretty depressing thought. Now this word vanity is used 38 times in this book and it doesn't here to mean mean to be vain. As someone once joked, says a woman came to a pastor one time and she says, Pastor, I have to admit, I suffer from the uh, sin of vanity. You know, she says, every morning when I get up, I admire myself for 30 minutes in the mirror. And the preacher replies, says, my dear lady, says, it's not the sin of vanity you suffer from, it's the sin of imagination. <laughs> You'd like to be that quick sometimes, you know? Um, but vanity here means emptiness, futility, without meaning. Read it that way. Emptiness of emptiness, right? It's futile, without meaning like a vapor. What Solomon is saying here, beginning with his conclusion, is that life under the sun does not work. Vanity of vanities. He repeats it for emphasis sake. In verse 3, he says this, of Ecclesiastes 1, he says, what profit, a man, what profit hath a man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? The message reads, what is there left over to show for a lifetime of working your fingers to a bone, is the way the message reads. But I want you to notice something here. Look in Ecclesiastes chapter 6. Ecclesiastes chapter 6. Okay. And as I read this chapter for you, I want you to pay attention. Don't just let it go by. But listen. And listen to the sense of futility and frustration and hopelessness that Solomon is expressing. And there's a phrase in there you'll see that comes up. 
and what he's trying to help you understand. So this is Ecclesiastes chapter 6, verse 1. He says, I have seen another evil under the sun. And I'm using the New International Version here, and purposely so, because the New International Version is a thought-for-thought translation. So I want you to try to capture the thought of what Solomon was saying in, in our language today. I have seen another evil under the sun, and it weighs heavily on mankind. God gives some people wealth, possessions, and honor so that they lack nothing their hearts desire. But God does not grant them the ability to enjoy them and strangers to enjoy them instead. This is meaningless, a grievous evil. A man may have a hundred children and live many years, yet no matter how long he lives, if he cannot enjoy his prosperity and does not receive proper burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. Depressing thought. I didn't mean to depress everybody today, but it comes without meaning. It departs in darkness, and in darkness its name is shrouded. Though it never saw the sun or knew anything, it has more rest than does that man. Even if he lives a thousand years twice over, but fails to enjoy his prosperity, do not all go to the same place? Everyone's toil is for their mouth, yet their appetite is never satisfied. What advantage has the wise over the fools? What do the poor gain by knowing how to conduct themselves before others? Better what the eye sees than the roving of the appetite. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Verse 10. Whatever exists has already been named, and what uh, humanity is has been known. No one can contend with someone who is stronger. The more words, the less meaning. And how does it profit anyone? Verse 12. For who knows what is good for a person in life, during the few and meaningless days they pass through like a shadow, who can tell them what will happen under the sun after they're gone? Don't miss this point. This book is one man's search for meaning, as if there was no God in the picture. Okay? And he conveys this by a little phrase he's used 29 times in the book of Ecclesiastes, under the sun, S-U-N, okay? Solomon is going to look back over his life and tell us what life is like under the sun. And may I add, this is where most of us are many times, trying to figure out what life is all about and where is meaning and purpose. And we're looking at it under the sun, without the sun, S-O-N. We're looking at life under the sun, S-U-N. Solomon's going to teach us four things here in regards to uh, this futility that he sees. In verse 4 of chapter 1, it says, One generation passes away, and another generation cometh, but the earth abides forever. It's almost as if he's taking the newspaper in one hand and opening the obituaries and the births and just looking at it and seeing the comings and goings. I mean, I don't know, you know, I don't know. Nowadays, you don't have many newspapers. You have to look for finding a physical newspaper. But, you know, I remember, you know, my dad doing that and, and stuff, looking through you know, the newspaper and reading the obituaries. You know, and sometimes the older you get, the more you look for anybody you know. 
you know. Um, but and I looked at, you know, nowadays we have everything's online. I was looking at the worldometer this week, and it has everything listed there that you can think of. Maybe some things you wish you didn't think of, but one of the things it lists is death by suicide. And it says, as of, this was as of March 9th of this week, it's estimated that 198,333 people had committed suicide this year. This year. I assume that was in this uh, worldwide. But I, 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 um, uh, and I looked the next day at the same stat, and it had went up to 201,312. And I just did the math, subtracted the difference, and divided that by, you know, 24 down to the second, and it's an average of two people every second. So you think of the time that I that that we have taken in this service over a 60-minute period, maybe, and the average number of people that have committed suicide in that time frame that have entered into eternity without God have been looking at their life and perspective under the sun and seeing no meaning, no sense, no purpose. An average of two people per second. And he's saying, life seems just to be the same. One generation comes, another goes. One man is born, another dies. Life goes from the beginning to the end and it just keeps repeating itself. There may be a sense of permanency to the nature, but the life is transient. You know, as we said before, it's like a vapor. He touches on the nature of death, a subject that many never want to talk about. But Solomon, you have to understand, is near the end of his life. And so he's looking through this, looking back on his life, and it pervades his mind. And he reasons about the course of life and sees the futility in it. I always remember one of my favorite apologists was Walter Martin, and he always used to say, the death rate is always one per person, right? Um, death comes to us all. There's a story um, that Rabbi Kushner, favorite, famous Jewish writer, if you know, uh, in one of his books tells this story of a man who came to him uh, for counseling, and this man said to him, Rabbi, two weeks ago, I went to the funeral of a co-worker of mine who was basically the same age as me. He went on to say, I didn't know him well, but we walked and, or we talked and, and worked together, and we had kids about the same age. He says, Rabbi, my friend suddenly died over the weekend, and a bunch of us who worked with him decided to go to his funeral. And we couldn't help but as we're at the funeral... Each one of us were thinking the same thing. It could have it's just as easily been me. He says, that was two weeks ago. They've already replaced him at the office. His wife's talking about moving out of state to be back with her family. Two weeks ago, he was working 50 feet away from me. And now, it's as, it's as if he never existed. He said, it's like a rock falling in the water. And then the water goes back to the same, but there's no rock anymore. Rabbi, he says, 
I've hardly slept at all since this happened. I can't stop thinking that it could have happened to me. And a few days later, I would be forgotten as if I never existed at all. Shouldn't a man's life be more than that? I think that's the question, right? We all come to that. Isn't there more than just getting up, going to work, doing the same thing, going home, doing a few things, going to bed, getting up, doing it all over again? Solomon is saying, if you look at life without God, it just seems so futile. The course of life turning over and over, but there's no meaning in it. Look at verse 5, chapter 1. He says, The sun arise and the sun goes down and hasteth to the place where he arose. Solomon uses the idea that the sun pants. He's like, just can just keeps going, just can he just keeps going from east to west, only to do what? Do the same thing, rise again and go pant to the west all over again. He says it's endless. It repeats itself again and again and again and again. Solomon is basically saying that since the creation of the world, the sun has done the same thing day after day after day. Then look at verse 6. The wind goeth toward the south and turneth about to the north. It whirleth about continually, and the wind returneth again to its circuits. His circuits. Now, this is kind of a remarkable statement, is it not? If you look at it carefully, because what is Solomon describing here? He's describing the world's great wind circuits and the global circulation of the atmosphere long before it was ever really officially known, right? And if you look at a, a, a map nowadays, and I remember seeing I have one in my uh, one of my atlases. And it shows the wind bands across the latitudes across the globe, you know, and how they go back and forth, just as Solomon's describing here, right? But he's saying this, he says there's such a mechanical nature to it going on, and that man is just caught up in the monotony of it all. You have the sun and the wind, and then in verse 7, he looks at the water. He says, all the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full, and the place from whence the rivers come. Thither they go, return again. What's Solomon describing? The hydrologic cycle, right? I looked at Wikipedia's description of the hydrologic cycle this week, and it says it's described as the continuous movement of water on, above, and below the surface of the earth. Solomon is saying the water is just like the wind and the sun and just like the generations of life that come and go. He's saying that things just continue to be the same, that there's this mechanical, monotonous nature to life and the way the world functions, and things just competing, keep repeating themselves over and over. There is a futility to life if you observe it without God in the picture. And even Christians get caught up in this sometimes, in this way of thinking. Until you do what? Until you remember God. Solomon then remembers the futility of life to moves from the futility of life to the frustration of sin. Look in verse eight of verse of chapter one. He says, "All things are full of labor; a man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied without seeing, 
nor the ear filled with hearing. He's saying that life without God ultimately is empty. This is exemplified in the world of entertainment. Now, I'm not going to tell you that this is something you should always do, but this is your homework. Go home this week and watch E.T., a little episode of Entertainment Tonight. And ask yourself when you're watching that, what does it really matter? What difference does it really make in the grand scheme of things? You know, I know, uh, especially for young people who get caught up in, you know, musicians or entertainers and various things, and they can describe for you all sorts of things about these people in the world of entertainment that really make no difference in their grand scheme of things at all. But they know them very well. And what that is a sign of is looking at life under the sun looking at life, trying to find satisfaction and fulfillment here and now, and maybe even meaning and purpose, but ultimately it's left empty and void. None of it satisfies. A person without God in their life just goes from one thing to the next, futilely trying to fill the void in their life. If you look at Acts chapter 17, verse 21, it says this, for all the Athenians and strangers which were spent, uh, which were there, spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear what some new thing, right? Remember Paul's encounter with them. Jane Vernon McGee used to say this: "says He said, if it's new, it's not true, and if it's true, it's not new." Solomon is saying something similar. He says there's no real lasting satisfaction in this world under the sun. There's nothing truly new. Oh, we call our things. You might get a new phone, a new computer, a new TV, a new house, a new car. Uh, but what? Two days later, two weeks later, two months, two years, they're obsolete. They're out of date. There's something else that's come out that's better, right? has a sense of futility. And we, even as Christians, can get caught up in this trap, trying to satisfy ourselves in this life under the sun. As nothing is fulfilling, nothing is fresh. Look in verses 9 through 11, which says this, The thing that hath been, it is that which shall be, and that which is done is that which shall be done. And there is no new thing under the sun. Is there any uh, thing whereof it may be said, See, this is new? It hath already been of old time which was before us. There is no remembrance of former things, neither shall there be any remembrance of things that are to come with those that shall come after. There is nothing new under the sun. And why I say that and what Solomon is saying is there's nothing new being created. There are some things we call new and stuff in this world, but ultimately uh, it is simply the rearrangement of what uh, God had already created. We just put it together. Thomas Edison used to say his inventions were only bringing out the secrets of nature for the happiness of mankind. He didn't say I'm inventing something new that God never thought of. He's saying I'm simply putting together what already was there. You know? What, we don't create anything, only God creates. There's a poem, a poem by Rudyard, Rudyard Kipling which captures what Solomon is trying to say here when he says, the craft that we call modern 
and the crimes that we call new, John Bunyan had them typed and filed in 1682. And that's just to say that while we may call it new and think of it new, ultimately it's not. It's not something new in the sense of being created new. And Solomon is also saying if you look at life without God, you see that ultimately everything in this life under the sun does not satisfy. It's not fulfilling and it's not new. There's a sense of futility in the world. You know, Solomon himself at one time walked with God, but what happened? As he got older, he married foreign wives who drew his heart away from God, right? He contaminated his life with visions of the world, and he ended up uh, a frustrated, disillusioned, discouraged old man. And he ends up writing this book and talking about that futility. As he comes to term in his own, terms in his own life, he realizes that without God, life does not have any meaning. He summarizes the central question of meaning in Ecclesiastes 6.12, which you've already read, but I'll say it again. He says, For who knows what is good for a man in life all the days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow? Who can tell a man what will happen after him under the sun? Right? You know, I don't know... For me, I'm just this is just a side note, but I, you know, I, sometimes when I go to maybe it's morbid, but but when I go to cemeteries, um, like I visit my mother's grave, and it's taken me ten years to say the word grave about her, um, but uh, but when I go to cemeteries sometimes, and I'll look at uh, other graves uh, sites and just look at the names and the year, the date of birth, and the date of death, you know, and stuff like that, and I just think about you know what was that. Who was that person? What were they like? You know, um, and what kind of life did they have? You know, and was was there something like this in their life—a sense of futility, or did they know the Lord? You know, um, and of course, then I have to go around and clean everything up because my, that's what my mother would be telling me. I can hear I can hear her words saying, you know, you know, you know, straighten these up because she's, you know, you, you don't want to leave these looking bad. You know, so I find myself cleaning up all around her, hers and everybody else's around there. Um, but that's just because I hear my mother talking. But uh, there is only one who can help you find meaning and purpose in your life. Before we close, let's look at the key to the meaning and purpose in your life. In Ecclesiastes 3.11, turn your Bibles to chapter 3, verse 11. I want you to listen to this. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from the beginning to the end. Now, before I talk about that first part, that last part, no one can find out the work that God does from the beginning to the end. It's, there's some things in this life uh, and even in your own life that we're just not meant, God didn't mean to explain to us, you know. Simply trust and follow him. Be obedient to him, okay. There are some things that are not going to be explained to you in this lifetime, okay. And if you try to go through your life trying to figure it all out and answer all the world's problems, including your own, you're just going to end up with more sense of futility and frustration. But no matter who we are, this first part of this verse 
says that he has made everything beautiful in his time, and also he has what? Put eternity in our hearts. God has made us all the same in this respect. We are built with a place in our heart for God. He's created a sense of eternity in our hearts, and this place can only be filled with God. Nothing else will do. If we try to put anything else in its place, what happens? We quickly become frustrated, disillusioned, and discouraged, like Solomon. Okay? We will sense the futility of life without God. There cannot be meaning and purpose in our life without eternity in our hearts. God has not made us for this world. He's made us for the next. And he has put eternity in our hearts and wants to fill that with himself if we will allow him to. But when we refuse to put God first in in our lives and we try to stuff our life with everything else in the place of our heart that is reserved for him, we end up sensing the futility of life, maybe to the point of some of those that I cited earlier that have taken their own life and seeing, seeing death and early death is more tolerable and desirable than what this world has to offer. Remember the average, two per second. If you want to know meaning in your life, you have to cooperate with the one who made you and put God first at the center of your heart. It all begins with inviting him to live within. You know, I keep going back to that statement about you know, George Barna and the, the study of, you know, only 6% of Christians today have a truly biblical worldview. And I think of that, and I think, you know, there's scriptures that talk about, you know, deceiving ourselves. And I think even as the pastor mentioned earlier in Sunday school this morning, we need to um, search our own hearts and minds and make sure that we're not deceiving ourselves. Um, and one of the things I think the telltale signs is if you live with a sense of futility and hopeless or despair in this life, it may be an indication that your perspective is you know, not quite what it should be and that you're living life under the sun. Um, and not so much with the son, S-O-N. In John 14, 6, Jesus says this. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He did not say a way or one of many or a truth or just your personal truth. No, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So if you want to find meaning and purpose, who should you look to? Jesus says it himself, right? Right there. Paul said it in one of my favorite verses is 2 Corinthians 4, 6. And if you don't have this verse marked, you ought to highlight it. Get out your pen, get out your highlighter, and mark this verse down. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. Okay? And I always remember it too. Four, six, okay? Two, four, six, okay? That's the way you can remember it. 
Just you got to remember the book. But Paul here is speaking to three different cultures. Roman culture, Greek culture, and a Jewish culture. Right? And who more uniquely qualified to do this than Paul himself, who was a Jew by birth, a Roman citizen, lived in a Greek city, right? And he understands who he's speaking to because the way he describes it, okay? I'm going to read to you this one time, and then I'll repeat it after I explain a little bit more. It says, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, you see the word light? Uh, without going into too much explanation, to the Jewish mind, light was representative of ultimate meaning and purpose in life. It's the pursuit of what life was. Okay? Knowledge was that to the Greek. Okay? We get so many philosophers and a lot of philosophy from, you know, Greek philosophers. And then you have glory. What was it to the Romans? That that was the aim and purpose of life was to achieve glory in this life. Right? Now look back at this verse and look at it again. It says, for it is God who commanded the light to shine out of the darkness. To what? To give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying to these three cultures and, and using what they use as the epitome of, of purpose and meaning in their life and saying if you want to find it, regardless of whether you're coming from this background, that background, or another one, Roman, Jewish, or Greek, or whatever it may be, it's found in the person of Jesus Christ. shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Last half of John 10.10 says this. He says, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it, what? More abundantly. Right? If you are living your life in with this sense of despair and futility and there's you look at life as kind of senseless and empty, you're looking at it from the wrong perspective. And you're looking at it without Christ or God in the picture. Okay? Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. He says, Come to me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden. That's Ecclesiastes 1, right there. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For what? My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Right? He's the one who can make the difference in your life. There's a story by a, a Russian novelist, uh, Alexander Bitnoff, uh, Bitoff, who um, talks about his own life who grew up in, you know, communist Russia. Um, but he says one day that God got his attention. He was on the metro. He says in the 27th year, while riding the metro on, um, on one day in Leningrad, um, he says, I was overcome with despair so 
great that life seemed to stop all at once. He said, suddenly, all by itself, a phrase appeared to me. Without God, life makes no sense. Just hit him like a brick. Without God, life makes no sense. He says, I kept repeating that phrase over and over to myself. And he says, when I got out of the metro, I got out of the metro and I walked into the light of God. If you try to make life work under the sun, S-U-N, you will fail. You will fail. It's not if or what. It's only a matter of when. Life does not work the way God intends it to work unless he's in the picture. The world is a closed system, so meaning has to come from outside this world, and the one who came into this world was Jesus Christ. It's one of the reasons Christmas is my favorite holiday, because what is it? God coming into this world, right? There's hope. There's meaning. There's purpose. There is meaning in there is no meaning in life under the sun, S U N. But meaning is found in the sun, S O N. One last verse I want to say to you is first John five twelve. And the beginning of that verse says, He that hath the Son hath life. If you want to rise above the despair, futility, and frustration of what Solomon is talking about in Ecclesiastes, acknowledge the that the eternity that God has put in your heart and embrace the eternal one. If you're already a Christian, embrace the sun, S-O-N, and stop living life under the sun, S-U-N. Okay? All right. Let's stand, please. I should have had Art Harry coming up here, but uh, that's okay. Art, as you would. Sorry about that. We didn't really coordinate this. <laughs> if you bow your head, close your eyes, uh, um, I want to give you a chance to respond, if you will. I, this is just my personal thing. I don't know where you are in your life. Uh, I, I I assume that most of you, most if not all of you here, are Christians. And I I, I think though that you might be able to relate. And, um, but I want you to just think about what Solomon was talking about here and, um, and how you're living your life. Do you have that sense of hopelessness or do you have a sense of hope? God filled your heart with joy or is it filled with despair? If there's anything you need to come for, whether it's getting to know him, come. If uh, there's something else, you can come for that as well. So let's give you a minute. I just ask you to respond.